Welcome to Next Economy Now. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight the leaders who are taking a regenerative, bioregional, equitable, democratic, racially just, and whole systems approach to creating the new economy. All right, Winona, welcome to Next Economy Now. It's such an honor to have you on the podcast. Jeez, how fun is this, I mean? Hmm. So to kick us off, why don't you share a little bit about yourself for the listeners and particularly um, how you came to the amazing transformational work that you're doing to reimagine an economy that, that works for the benefit of all life. Well, okay, first I just want to report in that I'm sitting in the middle of a rose garden, which I think that's a pretty good way to do an interview. I just want to give a little acknowledgement. It's spring and there's uh, oh, so many colors out here. And so, you know, you kind of look out there and, and I just am always pretty much grateful for what I see. There's a lot of beauty in, in uh, this world, a lot of beauty in, in, in this creation, you know. So um, a little bit about me. I'm um, Nishinaabe. I'm from the, I, I live in northern Minnesota. Nishinaabeak King, that's the, the land to which the people belong. That's how you call it. Nishinaabeak King, it's not, you know, like someone's private property. It's land to which the people belong. And I, uh, you know, live on Down Lake. And I, I have a farm that's a little further south in the Smoky Hills. And, and so, I, you know, I live in a pretty good place in the world. And, um, you know, I'm just saying it's good because you can drink the water from a lake. And, you know, there's a lot of maple trees up there. You can get sugar from a tree. You can fish. There's like really bountiful medicines and, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that are provided there. And so it's a healthy, you know, place. And, uh, so I'm a, a rural development economist by training and I live on the white earth reservation. And a lot of what I'm interested in is, is, you know, how you rebuild a restorative economy, you know, based on Anishinaabe principles and teachings, you know, what those have to do to, you know, explain where we are and where we're going. So that's a little bit about me. I don't know if that's kind of what you're after, but um, yeah. <laughs> you know, in our in our teachings as Nishinaabe, we have this um, teaching which is called Minobamadaziwan, which uh, means the good life. That's what you're, you know, really trying to practice: this good mind, good way you live, good heart. And that's, you know, really who who we're supposed to be. And that's that's really doesn't really have a lot to do with the cash economy. That has to do with the uh, has to do with how you treat each other and, and if you can feed yourself. So a lot of my interest is in restoration of that set of economic values. And I think Bidobobot is even is a little bit like the Growth National Happiness Index myself, you know, but it's in, in an Anishinaabe framework. And so a lot of the work that I've been doing over my life is the idea of restoring of that, of the, you know, Anishinaabe economy and, and what that means, you know, for a people. And, um, you know, as I was saying before, we have a pretty wealthy community. You know, we have a lot of wild rice. We have a lot of you know, maple, you know, trees, we have a lot of woods and medicines. And so we're, you know, we're really interested in, in keeping that for our own community, not, not, you know, reducing our cash economy, and then uh, relocalizing a lot of our production. And, um, you know, just having this good, this good level of, uh, not level of income, but, you know, level of living, way to live. I don't know if that's a very good summary, but that's kind of what they can. It's a beautiful reframe of what true wealth means. Thank you for that. I'm curious yeah. if want, there are specific examples. You want to be healthy. Yeah. Curious if there are specific examples um, of 
that are inspiring to you right now around this notion of wealth and how wealth in your community is growing that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, you know, I, and I look at well-being of my people and we, you know, we're suffering a lot of hardship right now. We've got a lot of things going on, you know, our community, other communities have it too. And, and I want us to have our well-being back. And so, you know, a lot of our work has, has a spiritual foundation, you know, a lot of prayer, a lot of, you know, of uh, trying to make things, you know, good at a ceremonial, cultural, you know, how you eat, you know, that's part of the well-being, you know, and the, and the wealth that I'm interested in, in my work or in our work, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a rural development economist by training, but, you know, what I, you know, so, but I'm not like a mathematical economist. I'm more interested in the social asset aspect of an, of what you'd call an economy. Mm. So, you know, the relations in there and, uh, and then how you move things. Cause I know how to move things in our community. Got a lot of people that want to do some kind of work, but they don't want to, you know, they want to be able to harvest still they want to be able to, you know, continue the rest of their life. And maybe they just want to do, you know, some things. I mean, there's a whole variation. So a lot of our work is on, is on trying to figure out how to make an economy that kind of reaffirms our way of life in our community. Mm -hmm. I had the fortune of meeting you in, in Minneapolis recently at this incredible feast that you put on uh, to celebrate the water protectors and, I'm curious if you want to share any moments um, kind of taking our listeners into, I think a lot of people don't really know what that type of wealth and well-being looks like in a community that's focusing on those types of capital and resources. And so I'm wondering if there's an instance, maybe it was at that dinner or maybe it's back home that you would, maybe a story that you could share with our listeners to kind of paint a picture for what what is possible? Um, you know, what I'd say is that, like, we have a lot of those foods in our own community. And so, you know, we, we, we know when we can prepare a feast that most of that food came from our community. And we, you know, we, we reaffirm our relationship to, you know, the creator and the world around us when we, when we have those feasts. And, um, you know, I don't know if, 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 if that's part of what you're saying. And then, but then there's also kind of a, the, the wealth of your spirit when you, when you do that feasting. You know, we honored some people that had been cooking at Standing Rock. And um, a lot of those guys, this one guy, Grumble, he's, you know, really served a lot of our people in, uh, you know, movements over the years, whether it's uh, Veterans for Peace at the Nevada Chess Site or, you know, other, other places. He cooked for them. That's like his gift. And, you know, a lot of what I'm interested in is, is that everybody has certain gifts. And one of the things we've got to do is reduce a lot of the cash in the economy because the cash introduces this whole level of wage slavery that, you know, is not something that is healthy. Um, you know, that's what we call it, wage slavery, which is, you know, that you know, John Trudell used to always say that the difference between a wage slave and a slave in chains, that the second one knows exactly where he stands. And I, and I think about that a lot, because what I don't want to do is, is, you know, my community has been pretty well disenfranchised, so most people don't have a job. <laughs> people aren't going to get a job anytime soon. And so how do you build wealth in a community that is not wage-based? Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of you know, the, the interest in our work kind of foundationally. Um, you know, but I, I know that, um, you know, some of the work we're moving into kind of more broadly is, is we're looking at this HAMP project as a part of an integrated, you know, community development strategy. And, and uh, 
you know, I could share a little bit of, of kind of our integrated community development strategy now that I kind of laid the, I suppose, the philosophical framework, you know. That would be great. Yeah, take us there. Yeah, so, um, you know, I drink this organization called Honor the Earth, but I have about 25 years of community experience, you know, on in the community. And, and we create, you know, we, I went back, you know, after pipeline fighting here for past five years, I've been wanting to, you know, kind of reaffirm the work that need to be done, which is what a transition economy looks like. like what it looks like when you, when you recover your wealth, when you have vision that has like broader implications, where you can change the ecological and economic systems of a region. And that's a lot of what I'm interested in. So, you know, we, I, you know, in our community, we have, uh, you know, a couple things that I know it as an economist. One is that you have pretty immense fuel poverty and pretty immense food poverty. And, uh, you know, the money that comes into our reservation, you know, traditionally we would chop wood, but now people live in HUD housing projects, they don't chop wood. You know, they have petro, you know, petroleum-based products that keep their houses. So that introduces this whole lot of cash that you really need to eclipse with something like solar. Or, you know, you need to return to some wood heat. So we're doing a solar thermal manufacturing facility in our, in our community. To, you know, because you can save about, you know, 20% of your heating bill with the solar thermal, you know, added to your house with some efficiency. So we're really intent upon kind of reducing fuel poverty. And then, you know, similarly, renewable energy strategies in our community. We put in 20 kilowatts of solar on our pool there. And, you know, we want to do a lot more solar. And, you know, we're looking for some partners in that. But we're planning on, you know, kind of building solar out in our community. And then, you know, we, we had talked a little bit about food. And, um, you know, I, I, I direct a project here. You know, I work for a project that's called the Anishinaabe Agriculture Institute. And uh, in that, you know, we have a lot of traditional varieties that are super strong in our, you know, or we're super strong in our area. Like we've got like our wild rice grows on our lake and we have, uh, you know, maple sugar. Those things are on our trees and we just got to take care of our ecosystem and we're good. But we also have a lot of agrobiodiversity. And a lot of that has disappeared over the last years. You know, I mean, it hasn't disappeared. It's been stolen from us or our land's been stolen and our you know, a lot of things have been stolen, you know, we shouldn't, you know, we should just like use the right word. Yeah. That's what settler colonialism looks like that, you know, they just come in. And so then that's why our people have diabetes and they're, you know, we're sick. And so um, I've been working on these varieties of corn, you know, I've been growing out these different varieties of corn, beans, squash, potato, Jerusalem, artichoke. And uh, it seems like there's another one in there. Corn, beans, squash, potatoes, Jerusalem, and tobacco. That's mm -hmm. what I grow. That's mm -hmm. like my main things that I grow. And uh, trying to grow those varieties out to bring them home. They're good keeping varieties. They're really high in nutritional value. You know, more antioxidants and amino acids than a lot of varieties. And so I'm really interested in, in, in that. And we've seen that kind of be growing in our community over the past years. You know, um, just get these varieties back. And so we serve them in our community. We, we, and we are opening up a little farm stand on our farm because I had this Kickstarter you know, to, to get this Winona's Hemp and Heritage Farm. So that's on the highway, Highway 34, if you're driving through northern Minnesota and you can stop over there, but we do the farm stand to, you know, offer some value-added varieties of these as well. Um, you know, so in that whole picture, I'm looking at, like, what the next economy also looks like. And, you know, I didn't talk about, you know, clothing, but, you know, the fact is, is that America's clothing economy is all imported and it's all toxic. And uh, Minnesota used to have 11 hemp mills in it. And Minnesota used to grow its own clothes. But, you know, we haven't grown our own clothes for 70 years mm -hmm. or, you know, 80 years uh, because of the, you know, the, you know, the 
the hemp industry was closed down. So I've been growing uh, hemp for three years. This is my third year of a state permit. And uh, the hemp, uh, I'm interested in fiber hemp. That's what I'm mm-hmm. mostly interested in. And uh, so this year is my second year. I have a bunch of, of, uh, of, uh, of large fields of, of, I think, six or seven varieties. And those varieties are going to be uh, in their second year of adaptation to northern Minnesota, these French and Ukrainian varieties and, and uh, Italian varieties. So that's what we're doing. We're working on our, on our hemp. Um, production this year, but what we really plan to do is to move into a hemp mill, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, into full in- vertical integration. So that's that's you know that's the start of it. For our listeners who may be less familiar with White Earth, can you talk a little bit about the um, the the community and some of the. Um, some of the opportunities and maybe also some of the challenges why it's so important to be thinking about these things and modeling them on white earth. What, what could a hemp mill mean for white earth? Uh, so my community, like the village that I live next to closest to is like nothing ever trickled down there. And it's really rough, you know, and uh, there's a lot of sorrow. There's like, you know, I mean, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I got three young men living in my house who don't have, don't really have parents, you know, and uh, that's that's addiction and alcohol and uh, just sorrow, sorrow, you know. And so I look out there, and this is generation. I've raised like seven children, and I'm, I'm, you know, they keep coming over. And uh, I got these grandchildren. I look out there, and you know, I mean, my community really needs needs the next. They need to have hope, and they also need to have an opportunity to to build something of a local economy. We got this. Uh, like I said, this solar thermal manufacturing facility there, but you know, I, I want to do this this hemp mill in our area, and um, the reason I want to do that is because I want to add value added production to my community, and just to be like really clear about it, there's no um, um, there's no uh, like most people don't have a license, and you know, in, in my village, a lot of people don't have a license. They certainly don't have a vehicle. They have a vehicle that's going to get them 30 miles to work every day. You know, there's a lot of challenges like that, and so. If you're going to relocalize your economy, you should just relocalize it to a community where mm-hmm. something like that would be an important part of their, you know, employment or their income. And so, you know, what I want to do is I want to build like this um, hemp industry in northwestern Minnesota and the Red Lake tribe is interested. And, you know, there, there's other tribe, tribes in our territory. We're just south of Manitoba. They're all interested in, in, you know, this as well. And in Saskatchewan, I was in Saskatchewan here a couple of days ago, and they're all interested in this too. But the idea of building like a regional hemp economy, like I said, there used to be 11 hemp mills in Minnesota. And so, you know, kind of how I see it modeled is, uh, say you, you know, say you could take, you know, for, you're doing or, only organic hemp, you know, only organic hemp, and you're doing it at a not real big scale. Like you're doing it at a scale that's at, you know, a 100 acre farm at the top, but it could be people could be doing two acres of hemp or 10 acres of hemp. You know, it depends on their scale of technology and equipment. Because you know, I don't want anything that's super big scale because it requires a lot more petroleum in it and a lot more things like that. But, you know, you've got to scale it up some. So you'd have a set of uh, producers and they'd be part of an organic rotation because hemp has to be rotated with other crops like, you know, corn and beans, beans particularly. And then, uh, you know, you set up an organic food system with a crop rotation. And, um, you know, then you have a mill to be there in our area. and uh, you know, we need to, you know, we're looking at preparing for decortication, but also the mill. We're super interested in the western part of our reservation is next to the railroad track. 
we feel like we could run, put a mill over there on the western portion of our reservation and we could import um you know uh hemp fiber from manitoba just north of us and uh, we could also ship things in and out because we'd be right on the railroad so you know we feel like we've got a good potential here and we're super excited about um you know that planning out our hemp mill and um you know scaling up our operations you know we're hoping you know to just kind of build things up in the next few years well, we're so excited about that as well. And, you know, the the thing you mentioned about the need in the community on White Earth, I think we talk a lot about income inequality and, you know, rising division between different classes in the nation. And I think there's a lot of need in the, you know, kind of affluent communities as well for what you have, access to local food, access to um you know, that deep-seated connection and ritual around honoring where our food comes from. And so um, I just so appreciate you describing the the wild rice fields that have been tended for thousands and thousands of years, this, those same fields. Um, yeah, it's, it's their lakes, you know, that's what they are. You just got to take care of your lake and you can go back there for 10,000 years. I just know that because that's my community. 10,000 years, one lake, you know, it's one of the single largest wild rice lakes in what's known as Minnesota. You know, but that's, you know, what we really feel like. And, and I guess what I, you know, I think everybody, you know, like how I feel is like, I didn't really like the last economy. It didn't work out too well for Native people. It didn't work out too well for the earth. It's not working out well for a lot of things. And so I'm really interested in the next economy. You know, and to me, this is part of the hemp is a part of the next economy. You know, so I'm, you know, I understand where we need to go. It's in our prophecies. They talk about this is the time of the seventh fire when, you know, we'll have a choice between two paths and, one path will be, you know, well-worn but scorched. And the other path will not be well-worn and be green. You know, they say we got a choice between them two paths. And, you know, I see that. And, I, you know, and I, I, I feel that. We're going to make that choice for that green path. But, and, you know, in that process, you know, whoever's listening here, you know, we're known as hemp. That's what it's called, our operation. Or, you know, you can, you can, you know, contact us there, you know, through we're known as hemp. But my, my point is, is that, you know, I understand what need to be done, but the questions of, you know, whether it is milling, milling equipment, decortication, you know, uh, you know, business support for, you know, as we do this planning, you know, there's people that have been looking at some of these things, you know, we know our community and we know that there's a lot possible, but that we, you know, this is a time for not competition. This is a time for cooperation. You know, we had a long, long economic practice of competition. I'm calling it. We're done. I think we need time for cooperation. You know, if we're going to make it, make the next economy, if we're going to build the future, you've got to make it, you know, you've got to do that. And one way you're going to do that is, is by, you know, you know, being, being good to each other and being beautiful, you know, so that's what I want to see, mm. you know, and I'm, so I'm super, I'm super happy to be visiting with you, you know, and, uh, and uh, we've got a lot of, you know, broader ideas, but in particular, we're super interested in, in integrating the hemp economy into our, into our, you know, renewable energy local food economic model so i think that hemp could really change a lot and you know minnesota had a lot of hemp mills and uh you know once they could figure out how to do a wind-powered hemp mill i'm golden you know i really mm -hmm. know how to do that but i thought you know something like that right so, but somebody does yes yeah somebody knows how to build a wind-powered hemp mill for the whiter people mm. that's what i want <laughs> <laughs> I, um, in spirit of that collaborative um, uh, sentiment, uh, I'm curious about two things. One, how can our listeners support you if they're specific 
things. And the second is maybe any advice you would have, especially for folks um, that maybe have access to resources or maybe are a part of a B Corp, how, how would you advise them in terms of their thinking about how to interface with these next economic systems, things like reducing their reliance on cash economy and um, investing in, in real solutions? Well, I mean, you know, I think that there's a growing number of opportunities in, you know, in, in a lot of places, but in the indigenous community, there's, you know, there's, there's community groups that are doing things like this all over, you know, in different places. And, you know, renewable energy, certainly, you know, but, you know, in terms of us, we're, you know, it's Winona's Hemp, and, uh, you know, I guess we gotta, we're working on our up, updating all our things. You know, we had a, we had a Kickstarter, and I'll try to update on that, those things. But, you know, the, the part of the point is, is that, is that, um, you know, we do need to work on this together. And so you can contact us or you know, they also can contact through you, Aaron, if you know some folks, you know, to say, hey, I, I got some ideas on, on milling or decortication. And, you know, because we have some ideas of what scale looks like and how it's going to work in the best scale. And then we got ideas that, you know, are, are, you know, there's different ways to, there's different sizes that would be appropriate and different, you know, different goals. But, you know, and... You know, in that there's this great opportunity for us all to put our minds together. And that's what I'm looking for. You know, I'm looking for a lot of people, you know, a lot of good hearts and good minds to come together to make this next, make this next economy. So, you know, you can, uh, you know, please, uh, you know, follow up with us and uh, thank you. Wonderful. And maybe just to close, what, what are you taking inspiration from these days? What really is keeping you going? I know you've been you're 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 in the work of both hospicing out the old economy and really birthing the new economy. You're you're fighting pipelines. You're making sure that your waters stay clean. What what is the fuel that 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 is fueling you and keeping you going and, and keeping that inspired light alive? Well, you know, Aaron. I mean, you look out there, and like now's the time when we're planting. Now's the time when you plant, and the seed is all about possibility and promise. You know, that, that seed go in the ground and not, not every seed takes, but a lot of them do. And so you get a squash and that, that squash, like I have it raises one squash and then we figure out that squash has like 1600 seeds. <laughs> oh, I'm like, if, if planting don't give you hope, I don't know what's going to give you hope, you know? And uh, there's some beautiful things out there and it's spring now, you know? And uh, I seen, uh, I, 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 I heard and seen frogs. I've seen all kinds of little insects. I've seen life come back. You know, it was a, it was a tough winter. And, uh, you know, I see that, that the natural world is full of hope and promise and love. So, you know, I'm always inspired by that. And, you know, just to be honest, as I said at the beginning of this, I'm sitting in the middle of a rose garden right now. Hmm. And I was like, well, that's pretty nice. You know, let's just sit in the rose garden and do this interview so I can look at, you know, all colors roses. That's good. Life's mm-hmm. good, you know, and, and them seeds, you know, there's a lake on our reservation or just south of us where they didn't have rice for a long time because they raised that water level and they didn't take care of, you know, they, they raised that water level for boats, like boats, so that the wild rice was drowned out. And then they had a combination of things that occurred and then water levels went down. It was 17 years later that wild rice came back, 17 years later. And so if a seed can wait 17 years to come out, be ready, you know, I feel like we could do something too, so... I know that's my thinking, Aaron. Thank you so much.
for sharing your time with us, uh, for, for being in connection in deep relationship with our non-human species, the plants, the animals, all of life, and really, really deepest gratitude for, for the work the work that you do each and every day. Oh, miigwech, miigwech, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. Next Economy Now is a production of Lyft Economy. To listen to all of our episodes, go to lifteconomy.com slash podcast. That's L-I-F-T economy.com slash podcast. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter at lifteconomy.com slash newsletter. Please also rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.